Welcome back to Whose Crime Is It Anyway? I'm Lisa. And I'm Shell. And we're here to give you another dose of true crime from the true north. So before we dive in, I want to discuss a crime that was brought to my attention over this past weekend by my friend Dana that I feel needs to be addressed. Which one? J-Lo and her ghost singers. What? Have you heard about this? No. What is this? Okay, so she apparently doesn't even sing a lot of her own songs and uses these ghost singers for the choruses. So like letting us all think that it's her. It's insane. You have to watch this video that I found on YouTube and it just breaks it all down and kind of strips down the music and you can hear. Like even on her recorded songs? Yes. Or just in concerts? No, her recorded songs. What? So this is like a million vanilla situation here. J-Lo, what are you doing? I know. So get this. This is going to be a long intro and I know people hate it when we talk for too long and we don't jump into the case, <laughs> but like this is, is important. Okay. So apparently the chorus of If You Had My Love is allegedly the vocals of an unknown artist. And then Waiting for Tonight was actually a cover of an original song by a female group called Third Party. And she actually kept the backup vocals from the original in the chorus. Wow. The song called Feeling So Good with Nas, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not even her voice in the chorus. It's an unknown artist. Okay. Are these unknown artists getting paid well like I, I don't know I would hope so I mean if they're not getting any recognition I would they hope need that to she's ha- paying them right if it's not even going to be credited in the and song. she's getting all the royalties from the song yeah everyone thinks that it's her what the heck then play was written by Christina Milian and mm-hmm. it's full-on Christina Milian's voice it's insane wow you know the song I'm real with Jerule yes the demo was made with Jerule and Ashanti for J-Lo and then they kept Ashanti's background vocals which is basically all you hear is Ashanti when you in really the listen out of that no, song yeah you, and she just kind of like no. sings over with her little like La-na-na. yeah and then the other versions of I'm real with just J-Lo on her own again vocals from an unknown singer another song with Ashanti's background vocals ain't it funny and then The entire This Is Me album uses the vocals from a singer named Natasha Ramos, and you can totally hear it when the songs are stripped down. What the heck? This is wild. I mean, I feel like this isn't new, like this isn't a new thing to happen, but I feel like for someone as popular and as famous as J-Lo to know that literally on her recorded album, she's not singing. Yeah. Apparently, she only sings about 5% of her songs. It's nuts. I mean, she is a great performer. We give her that, but... Oh, 100%. I just feel like she's up on this huge pedestal. She's like an American Idol judge. Like, how dare you? You you don't even sing. I mean, I'm not surprised, but I mean, I do love her. Like, at the same time, I, like, I love J-Lo. So, oh, that's like a hard pill to swallow. Well, you might not like her after this. She stole a large portion from the ending of Usher's song, Ride, that didn't make it onto his Confessions album. And it's the part at the end of Get It Right where she's dancing with the cane and it's kind of like the last like minute and a half of the song. 
Usher found out and demanded that he get royalties and publishing rights because she literally like copied the song like word How for word. How did she get it? I have no idea. It was recorded but didn't make it to the album. Doesn't mean it's not his music. Yeah, it was given to her or something. And then what the heck? she did the same thing to one of Brandy's songs that didn't make it onto her album as well. Like, I, I just can't. You have to watch this YouTube video. I'll send it okay. to you. Send it to me. I am intrigued mm-hmm. because, I mean, I love Usher. So. I know. JLo is a fraud. <laughs> wow. News of the week. Like, I feel like my whole childhood is a lie. <laughs> oh, no. Just wow. traumatized. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So now that I've gotten that off my chest. This week's case that I'm sharing with you today is very heavy. It's about a cult, and yes, us Canadians have cults too, but this one has an even darker and disturbing story than you could ever imagine. What appeared to be an innocent commune from the outside was a cult whose followers were suffering daily torture and abuse from their leader. This self-proclaimed messiah controlled his followers with so much fear He could even make them break their own legs with a sledgehammer. And that wasn't even the worst of it. Oh my god. Get ready. I do not know about this case. This is rare. I feel like oftentimes (laughs) when we do a case, we know a little bit about it before we go into it, but I've never heard about this. And the last cult, I think the only cult we've covered is the Nexium one. Nexium, yeah. This is, oh, great. Yeah, brace yourself. And just a heads up, you guys, this is going to be a two-parter. It's very long, but good news, part two is actually available right now. So go ahead and listen after you're done this one. In 1977, a small commune was formed by a charismatic man from southern Quebec who believed he was a messenger from God. The leader was adored by his followers and was so captivating that they would do anything to please him but it wouldn't take long until their dreams would come crashing down and they were living their worst nightmares. This was no messenger from God. This was pure evil. This is the case of Rock Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids. Take it away, girl. Rock Terrio was born on May 16, 1947. He was the second-born child out of seven siblings and had one older sister. The family grew up in Thetford Mines, a small francophone town almost an hour and a half drive south of Quebec City. The Thetford Mines were founded in 1876 after the area was discovered to have massive deposits of asbestos, and it became one of the largest mining towns in the world for asbestos. Although Terrio was a very intelligent and social boy growing up, he dropped out of school after the seventh grade, as did the rest of his siblings. But this didn't stop him from diving into books, learning about the world, and teaching himself how to speak English. The Terrio family was very Catholic, and when Terrio was a kid, his dad began to voice his dislike towards government and the control of banks. 
so he soon joined an even more conservative Catholic group called the Pilgrims of St. Michael, or also known as the White Berets. They would go door to door wearing white beret hats, handing out pamphlets. Sounds kind of like Jehovah Witness. Exactly. I've never heard of Catholics going door to door like that. Me neither. The White Berets are extremely right-winged and believe that, along with television, the banks are an embodiment of the devil and that people need to free themselves from the control that money has over society. So Rock was forced to join them and participate in going door-to-door, which he absolutely hated. He didn't agree with the religion's strict values. He preferred spending time in the wilderness and working with his hands and building things. The more he was forced to participate with the White Berets, the more resentful he became, so he disassociated himself from Catholicism and other religions altogether. Not only was his upbringing extremely strict, Terrio later claimed that his punishments were just as extreme, saying that he was often beaten by his drunken father as early as two years old. Terrio's parents deny these claims, saying that they never beat their children, but if they needed to be corrected, they would be punished. Whatever that means. Punished how? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I would say that's called bullshit on that. They probably did. Yeah. And all I know is that Terrio turns out to be extremely violent in this story. So as we already know, some abusers learn their behaviors from being abused as a child. And we see this a lot in different serial killers and murderers all the time. As a young adult, Terrio had a lot of friends. He loved to entertain and his sense of humor and magnetism would captivate an entire room, not to mention his good looks and piercing blue eyes that the ladies loved. Okay, do we have another Ted Bundy thing on Um, our hands? Like, honestly. No, not even. Like, I just have to say, like, all I've seen are pictures of when he's a little bit older and he's got a skullet with okay. A massive, massive, long, thick, wiry beard. So, okay, so not classic good looks. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> not even but close. Like, when that is said about a person, especially like a killer or a murderer or you know an abuser or something like that, I'm just like, why? So, like, is he good looking or was it he just really charismatic? and had a way of manipulating I think that that's more about what it is, is his personality. Yeah. When Terrio was 20 years old, he married his wife, Francine, and the two of them moved to Montreal, where he worked as a chimney sweeper. The couple soon had two little boys of their own, Rock Sylvain and Francois. But it was at this time that Terrio started experiencing extreme debilitating pain in his abdomen, which turned out to be stomach ulcers. So Terrio underwent surgery where a large part of his duodenum and small intestine were removed, but this made matters worse for him. The pain was back, so he went for a second surgery, which was essentially removing even more parts of his intestine. But to his disappointment, it made things worse. Terrio had developed dumping syndrome, which is a side effect from removing parts of the digestive tract, where when you eat, The bowel is unable to process and absorb the nutrients quickly enough, so it just goes straight through you, basically causing extreme cramping and diarrhea and vomiting immediately after you eat. I mean, we know this guy is a bad dude, but that does sound absolutely (laughs) awful. Yeah. And one of the ways to manage this is just eat smaller meals that are less rich. But 
Terrio decided he was going to self-medicate with alcohol to manage the pain. Okay, because that's going to do well for your body. Yeah. Terrio quit his job as a chimney sweeper and tried to support his family by opening up a woodworking shop where he made wood carvings, but this was not very successful. At this point, Rock was constantly reading medical textbooks and was obsessed with his condition. He also studied books upon books of all outlooks on life, including books on the occult. And this is when his beliefs were becoming more eccentric. Terrio was convinced he was dying, and the vicious cycle of the pain and drinking began to fuel him with anger. He became arrogant and started having an affair with a woman named Giselle. He even had the balls to bring his son, Francois, to Giselle's house for a weekend, where the boy saw them in bed together and made the boy promise not to tell his mom. Okay, I hate that. I know. If you're going to cheat, fine. Don't bring your kids into it and then Mm -hmm. ask them to lie about it. I'm like, that is so not necessary. And Francine wasn't dumb. She was aware. She could tell something was going on and the arguments between Terry and Francine were just getting worse and worse. And the marriage was suffering greatly. Was Francine having the same thoughts about the occult and religion as Rock was? Or was she kind of like, no, this isn't for me? Yeah, she was not on the same page there. Terrio would take off for days and even months at a time without an explanation, leaving his wife to fend for the children and make the monthly house payments herself. One night, Francine had finally had enough. She kicked him out of the house, butt naked on the front lawn, and chucked all of his clothes at him. Yes, girl. Yeah, girl. (laughs) Yes. Fuck yeah. Terrio moved out, but continued his relationship with Giselle, even after the divorce. He also maintained a close relationship with his boys, even though their mother forbid them from seeing him. So they visited behind Francine's back. Mm. Which I can't blame the kids. Like, they want to see their dad. They want to see their dad. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously he's not in a very good state to be a good father either. So I'm not entirely sure what changed Terrio's mind about religion, but it was around this time that he joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church, or the SDA which follows the Bible to a T. They firmly believe in the second coming of Christ and that it's coming very soon. They believe Christ's return will be, quote, literal, personal, visible, and worldwide. Another thing that's really interesting that's different from the Catholics is that the SDA believes that when someone passes away, they're not resurrected to heaven or sent to hell right away. They believe that the person remains unconscious until they are granted eternal life upon the second coming, and those who don't will have their bodies burned into flames and their souls taken by the devil. So I don't know if there are any members of the SDA listening and we're not explaining it correctly, but from my understanding, so all the dead bodies in the world right now are actually just unconscious, awaiting God's decision for when Christ returns to earth. Does that make sense? Like, that's what it sounds like to me. So I was, this actually just sparked a memory in my brain. So remember the episode I did on the Butterbox babies, Mm -hmm. the two that ran the maternity home. I said that in quotation marks. The guy, William, he was a seventh day Adventist church ordained priest. Are they priests? Pastors? I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
so I remember researching it too and it's like yeah. it's pretty intense and then it's kind of confusing I thought yeah I'm like can I, am I getting this straight so the SDA believes that our bodies are holy temples and should be fed only natural whole foods mostly vegetarian or just eating clean meats Pork, rabbit, and shellfish are considered unclean, and smoking, drugs, and alcohol are forbidden. But apparently, Rock was allowed to drink due to his medical condition. Okay, they made so an exception. There's an exception for when you, yeah, have a medical condition. Okay. Terrio, being the charismatic, well-spoken guy that he was, quickly established himself and became very well-liked within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He would lead lectures teaching young Adventists, typically adoring women, how to quit smoking in five days. Again, people were drawn to his charm, and it would be at these lectures that he began to preach that he was a messenger from God, saying that God speaks to him in his dreams, and he has given him a mission that they must prepare for the end of the world, the apocalypse, the Armageddon. Oh my god. This is like every single cult story. And every cult leader has a fucking god complex. I 100%. It's insane. I know. It's insane. They always say that they have some direct line to god. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Who believes this, though? Like, it's also just, like, so sad. I know. It's always people who are missing something in their yes. lives, and they're searching for some sort of fulfillment or wanting to feel like they belong to something. 100%. Or they're even looking for someone to validate them and how they're feeling. Yes. And that happens yes from these types of places or this person who says i can heal you i'm here for you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just you know come to my church or follow me and i will show you the way yep. it's crazy terio believed in the old testament and the old ways of thinking such as men rule over women and oh people God. were actually <laughs> buying into it though the women were just like enamored with him. I just, I don't understand. And I keep coming back to Nexium because it was very similar mm -hmm. when women were put in a position of less powerful than men. Mm -hmm. And it's also like you feel like a chosen one when he pays attention to oh, you. Right. Yes. Right? Of you're course. my master and like you're paying so much attention to me. It's this like addiction almost. Yeah. 100%. Terrio had grown a following of about 10 people at this point. Two men, a married couple, and six women, which included his girlfriend, Giselle. The group would have weekend sleepovers at Giselle's apartment, singing hymns and where Terrio would share his messages and instructions that he received from God. He then renamed everyone with their own biblical names, including himself, which he commanded everyone call him Moise, which in English translates to Moses. But sometimes they even called him Poppy, and they would call Giselle Mommy, which is super weird. What the heck? So Were they weird. all sleeping with each other at this point? I think that that kind of stuff didn't start yet. I just have to imagine that's where this is going. Um, yes, we can assume yeah. <laughs> we're going to get there. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Terrio began using his knowledge from all the medical textbooks that he read to act as a holistic healer within the community, even though he literally had no medical background. 
not everyone was a fan of Terrio. There were members of the church who had a strong disapproval of his teachings and medical practice with such little education. Terrio convinced the group that they needed to prepare for the end of the world and pack up their things and move to St. Marie in southern Quebec. This was where he opened the Healthy Living Clinic, with no medical license or experience. Just opens up a clinic and convinces people that he's some sort of naturopathic doctor, selling literature and organic foods. Okay, this is very similar though to the Butterbox Babies, because they were of a similar religion, like same Mm -hmm. religion, Mm -hmm. and they opened up this maternity clinic when she was a nurse, Mm -hmm. like had no experience as a surgeon or delivering babies, and he was a chiropractor. Like you read a book and then Mm -hmm. you've now opened a clinic. Yeah, that's bizarre. That is very similar. It's very similar. Yeah. Even though he really had no idea what he was doing, it seemed to generate money and even recruited more members to the group. But their trust in Terrio was sometimes fatal. He convinced one of the Adventists, Geraldine, who was suffering from leukemia, to check out of the hospital and come to his clinic where he treated her naturally with grape juice and organic food. He cut her off from her family and wouldn't even let her dad come see her. Shortly after, Geraldine passed away and her family didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. The church found out about this and tried to get some of the parents to convince their daughters to leave Terrio, but to no avail. The police were even called, but they had no proof to charge him with anything. It had been about a year since Terrio joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and in April 1978, Terrio was removed from the church. But it was too late. He already had his posse. That's so sad, also, and that nothing could be done. Right. Not only was Terrio starting to brainwash his followers, he was instilling his radical beliefs into his two young boys as well. Francois and Roque Sylvain attended a Catholic school, where they prayed and used the sign of the cross. But Rock was teaching them that, quote, to make the sign of the cross is to invoke the forces of evil. Kids are so impressionable, mm-hmm. and this is your dad telling you this? Yeah. I just feel like, how are you supposed to, at that age, like being young and in school, think that your dad doesn't know better? Like, how are you supposed to figure that out for yourself? Exactly. Like, oh, dad's crazy. He's on this, like, crazy train. Oh, they loved him. Yeah, of course. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. How did his wife feel about it? She didn't know, right? Because she she, didn't know. She was telling her kids, like, you can't see your dad. So they were hiding it from her. They were hiding it. Ugh. I mean, I think she would let them visit, like, once in a while, but she didn't realize how close that they had remained. Yeah. In the summer of 1978, 31-year-old Terrio had convinced his followers that God sent him a message that the Armageddon was soon approaching and that the end of the world would be February 17th, 1979. So the group piled into a bus with their belongings and set out on a long journey to go live off the grid to a place Terrio called Eternal Mountain, which God had shown him. This is where they were going to prepare for the Armageddon. God told him that they were the chosen ones to be saved on the day of judgment. And he also took his two young boys along without informing their mother. So he essentially kidnapped them. He just kidnapped his kids. Yep. And they didn't know that they were being kidnapped. They just thought they were going on like a vacation with their dad. Oh, this poor mother. Mm Mm-hmm. 
they drove for days into the depths of the forest until they reached a mountainside lake. Terrio put everyone to work immediately, while he sat back and relaxed as the group worked tirelessly for hours on end like a colony of working ants. And this was when Terrio called them the Ant Hill Kids. The process was grueling, working almost 17 hours a day before their housing was complete. Terrio had no idea that the lake they were building their community at dries up every year near the end of the summer. And once this happened, he began rationing their water supply and was feeding the group salt so they wouldn't sweat as much. Oh my god, this is awful. It is. After about four or five weeks, his two sons were starting to show signs of malnourishment with swollen bellies. But luckily, out of the woods appeared Terrio's ex-wife, Francine, with two police officers. She tore a strip off of him for kidnapping the kids and took them back with her to regular civilization. Thank God. I know. How did she find them? I don't know. Oh it was my in the middle God. of nowhere. Seriously, I'm like, how did she mm-hmm. find them? That's mm-hmm. like, Mama Bear is I always going to find her kids. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So the boys were turned back to Thetford Mines with their mom, but over the course of the next few months, they had become the biggest troublemakers in town. Experts in shoplifting, constantly lying, and even accidentally burning down a building when they were playing with matches. And this caused their mother so much grief. She was just at her wit's end and didn't know how to manage them anymore. So fortunately, she gave them the choice of returning to their father or going into foster care. So at ages 8 and 10 years old, the boys quickly accepted this opportunity to go live a carefree lifestyle and went back to their father, who at this time had made quite the name for himself in the local newspapers for his commune and unconventional lifestyle, as well as his beliefs about the approaching apocalypse. The Ant Hill Kids commune had now established themselves, having built their own home, working sheds, a worship temple, and even acquired a working horse. To Francois and Rock Sylvain, this seemed like paradise. Everyone seemed to be happy and well, but little did Francois and young Rock Jr. know they were entering the most horrific chapter of their lives. Everything seemed to start in harmony, and everything was like you would imagine, the typical group orgies, carefree, singing around the fire. Yeah, I just imagine like everyone in white or in like the same outfits, like billowy outfits, living off the land. Yeah, oh my gosh. It was normal for the first little while, And then it just started going downhill. And chaos happens? Yeah. Oh boy. The boys soon became aware of the intimidating presence that their father now had over everyone. They learned that Terrio had married all nine women in the commune and had impregnated every single one, all except Maurice, who had an infant with her husband, Jacques. What? Yeah. Nine women married. How? Like, obviously not legally. Yeah, not legally. Like some random ceremony by the lake? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All members were completely cut off from the outside world, with no radio or newspapers to even tell what day it was. They were forbidden from contacting anyone from the outside and were forced to burn all of their identifications, including their health cards, because it was no longer needed, according to Terrio. 
Like if something happened, he didn't want them to go to a hospital. No, that like was not allowed. You can't go to the hospital. Oh my God. The purpose of this new community was to cleanse and purify their souls before God was to rescue them. And in order to cleanse their bodies of sin, they were all forced to eat restrictive diets of mainly barley. So not the vegetarian, like nice, clean, whole food type of diet that we just learned about the SDAs. This Mm -hmm. is like barley. And that's it. Yeah. Oh my God. Where do they get the food? Like, do they just grow their own barley? I think that they had brought that kind of stuff with them. And then they were hoping to grow their own vegetables and live off the land with berries and hunting. Yeah. So they were all put to work every single day to do chores and ensure that the necessities for food and firewood were met. But I'm not talking about a couple of hours. I'm talking like full days of physical labor, exhausting, and living off rations of barley and hardly any water. They had no energy. And like, what an easy way to break someone down. 100%. Yes. They're like in starvation mode. Yeah. Not thinking clearly. And Mm -hmm. this man holds all the power. You're like, okay, tell me what to do. Yeah, I'll do it. Not only were they working under the direct control of Terrio, everything they wanted to do had to be approved by him first. They couldn't even have sex with each other without his permission because he had kind of paired people up. It's so weird. It's so weird. So what, they had to go and ask? Uh, they had to hey, ask. Hey, Rock, uh, can we go and have sex? Yeah. Together? Yeah. And he could just say no, like... Oh my god. And if they broke these rules or even asked him the wrong question, the consequences were ruthless. But Terrio's two sons were not exempt from this punishment either. It wasn't long until they would suffer from up to 30 belt lashings at a time and punches to the face. What? Like, terrible. And for what? Just for disobeying him? Yeah, or just asking the wrong question, like asking if you could have a little bit more food, if you took a couple more pancakes than you were allowed, you were like assaulted. Wow. He truly did enjoy inflicting pain, and he had a sadistic thirst for blood. As Francois recalls in his book that he wrote with his older brother, he will never forget the night and he was punished for simply asking to join his dad while he went to go visit his grandparents in Thetford Mines. Terrio made him strip down naked and began lashing him with a belt. Francois lunged forward into the fireplace and scrambled to get out of the flames. Instinct kicked in and the boy took off out the front door, running into the woods in the snow. But that didn't faze Terrio one bit. Francois then heard his dad shouting into the woods that he's going to hunt him like a pig and fetched his shotgun. Oh this my god. This kid is eight years old. Eight. eight. Eight years old. Thankfully, he didn't shoot his own son. Francois realized that he had nowhere to go and that he would freeze to death, so he surrendered. And the beating continued until his body was numb and he was delirious. Terrio's drinking problem had turned into a full-on addiction, and he was a horrible drunk. At night, he would often play a game of knife-throwing, but not just to an empty wall. He would make someone stand in front of it as he drunkenly launched knives towards them, as some sort of way to show his strength and dominance. This is insane. How many people are there at this point? There's 12 adults. 12 adults. And... 
I guess it is in the middle of nowhere, but how at this point can you not see that it's that's not okay? <sighs> like seeing an eight-year-old get beat almost like to the point where they pass out mm-hmm. is just so not okay. I know. I, th- I think that they're just so deep into this now. Like they're so yeah. far gone. You know, it's like your worst abusive relationship. Like it's hard to leave. I can't escape. They still like love him. Oh my God. Another ritual to purify their bodies of sin, which was really an excuse for Terrio to satiate his thirst for blood, was once a week, the community would be woken up in the middle of the night by Terrio ringing a bell, mostly when he was drunk. They would all meet and form a semicircle. The ritual involved everyone pairing up and being forced to hit each other until they bled. And when one of his sons could not bleed, he came over and kicked him in the face. He had complete control over everyone. One day, Terrio wanted to ensure that his sons had sex education and were familiar with the female body. So, he decided it would be a great idea for some of the women to strip naked and stand over the boys' faces so they could learn the female anatomy. That's so gross. Oh my god, this is not getting any better. Is no, it? it's just <laughs> no. Like, oh my god. All of Terrio's wives, or concubines, played the role of a nurturing mother to his sons. One of Terrio's wives, Mary, took to his 11 year old son, where they had a particularly special bond. But this special bond was taken advantage of as she would invite the 11 year old boy to her bed on Sunday nights and they would feel each other's genitals. But his father had no idea, because believe me, if he found out that one of his wives was being unfaithful with his child, the punishment would be unthinkable. This is just like, I can't, because okay, yes, this woman obviously has been manipulated and abused, but then now that she is now abusing this 11 year old is, it's just so bad. I just don't want there to be any other kids in this commune. <laughs> There's a lot. <sighs> Terrio liked to fuck with their minds and play the members against each other. He made the children hit their own mothers. He would force the men to fight each other naked. And sometimes he would take two women to bed with him, where he would have them compete to see who could have the most orgasms. Something that clearly pleased his ego, so if you lost, you would feel shame. It's just, it's so bad. It's so crazy. It's insane. Like, things that you just cannot even process. Like, how would you think of these things? Yeah. And even, like, partake in them, for Mm -hmm. him to think of them. It all seems like a big, disgusting game to him. Yeah. And I'm assuming now all of the wives that he's impregnated, they've had their kids. Yeah. There's more and kids now. The there. kids are now growing up in the commune. Mm-hmm. And they're not educated at all. The only yeah. thing that they're teaching them is, you know, the religion. Relying on berries and wildlife for food was not always realistic. So the group would go into a nearby town and sell baked goods so that they could buy some food to bring back with them. And if they didn't make enough money to please Terrio, they would be harshly punished. If you complained about not having enough food, Terrio would give you even less. In 1978, the news of Jonestown had hit the papers, and if you don't know this one, it was a cult where their leader got them to drink cyanide, and over 900 people died on site. 
So now that that was in the headlines, it raised alarms for the nearby communities around Terrio and his commune. So the police were persuaded to go to the commune and look into things. When they arrived, everyone seemed to be happy and well, but this was because they were trained to put on their best show whenever there was a guest. Terrio even agreed to go into town to undergo a psychiatric evaluation, and he fucking passed. Well, yeah, because he's crazy enough to pass. But even to fool a psychiatrist, like, you must be... I know. This is also, like, what, late 70s, early Mm -hmm. 80s? So, you know, different time. But still, he must be very good. Very good. And he also denied that he was even a leader at all, saying that the commune was a democracy of equals. (laughs) Bullshit. Yeah. So, February 17th, 1979 judgment day it came and it went shocker what okay so he's preparing all of them for the apocalypse it comes it goes he picked like the soonest day possible and then what like were all the people like okay yes what now it obviously began to stir some conversations amongst the group and their doubts about whether terrio was all that he said he was terrio reassured the group and said The reason nothing happened was because, oh, I just realized God's time plane was different than time on Earth. Oh my God. Just saying that like we're in a different time zone than what God's time zone is. Right. But I mean, when you're bullshitting a bunch of people like this in a cult, you can make up anything to make sense. Oh yeah, they just lap it up. Nothing has to be logical. It can be completely irrational. It just has to sort of tie in and make Mm -hmm. some kind of sense. And you preach it with conviction and like they'll they'll buy it. They'll buy it. But this moment of doubt still threatened Terrio's control. And if he ever caught wind that someone was considering to leave, they were harshly punished. And it was around this time that the punishment seemed to be getting even more severe. Terrio not only thrived off the control, he took great pleasure in torturing them as well. Terrio would later say that he would sometimes punish someone simply because God told him to. He would often hang members from the ceiling and pluck every single body hair from their body. What? Just get ready. He would pull out teeth with pliers or cut fingers and toes off with wire cutters. Not only that, he would sometimes urinate on them or instruct other members to do the urinating for him. They were sometimes even forced to eat their own feces. Oh my god. One time he made a couple have sex in front of everyone and then made the man smear his feces on her back, humiliating both of them. Children were nailed to a tree by their clothing, and the other children were forced to throw rocks at them. But this wasn't the only abuse the children suffered. One time, Terrio punched a two-year-old in the solar plexus, winding the child so badly they couldn't even manage to make a sound. And to our horror, all of the children were frequently molested by Terrio as well. One day, a man arrived to the commune. He had recently been treated in a psychiatric hospital for depression. When he was discharged from the hospital, His doctor suggested that a commune might be an appropriate fit for him and recommended that the anthill kids might be the one. A doctor is recommending this 
commune. Apparently. Oh, how? How do people know about this commune and recommend it? Because from the outside, it seems like they're all living in harmony and that there's nothing wrong with what's happening there. Oh, It just my seems God. like one big happy family from the outside. When this man arrived, Terrio did not turn him away. He allowed him to stay, but there were conditions. He basically segregated him from the rest of the members, making him sleep in a shed with chickens, and gave him chores to do around the compound, which I suppose is not unlike the others when it came to putting in hard work. But this next task that Terrio assigned to the man was on all levels pretty reckless. As a new member of the commune whom no one knew anything about other than his mental illness, he was put in charge of watching the children at night. One evening in 1981, a three-year-old boy who was not one of Terrio's children was uncontrollably crying in his bed. The boy had woken up the man, and instead of soothing the child back to sleep, the man proceeded to beat the poor boy into a coma. When Terrio found the little boy, he and Gabrielle, the commune's nurse, took him to the kitchen and lay him on the table. After failing to aid the boy, Terrio decided the next best thing would be to perform surgery on the boy, but not just any surgery. He believed that a circumcision would be the best solution to save this poor little beaten boy's life, right there on the table with no anesthesia. Terrio used rubbing alcohol for sterilization, but he also thought it would be helpful to administer the rubbing alcohol orally to the child, and as you would probably expect, the little boy died of alcohol poisoning. That is awful. This is taking such a dark turn. I warned you, it was already dark to begin with, but this is out of this world dark. I know. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. The man who beat the little boy was held on a mock trial within the commune. The group voted that his punishment would be castration. So the man was tied down to that kitchen table as Terrio cut off his testicles with a knife. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is so bad. <laughs> I can't. Like, I'm like covering my face right now. Like, I cannot with this story. Apparently, what Terrio would do is he would put elastic bands around the scrotum to cut off the circulation no, and then just I don't, cut. I don't, I don't need to know. I don't uh, need details. I don't girl, need details. I've been eating, sleeping, breathing this whole shit for like two weeks. I'm so messed up from this. Yep. No, I, please spare me the details. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, where was I? How did this man not die from that, I, I don't know. He somehow managed to heal, and he fled the commune to the nearest town when he found his chance, and he reported Terrio and the dead boy. The commune was raided by the police and child protective services, and all 14 children were taken away and placed into foster care. Terrio, along with four other members, were arrested. They tried to say that the boy had died from being kicked by a horse, but they weren't buying it. Terrio had pled guilty to criminal negligence for castrating the man and was sentenced to 18 months in jail, and the others were sentenced to nine months to a year for negligence related to the boy. The end, right? Think again. I think this might be a good place to end part one of Rock Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids. But don't worry, you'll have part two coming at you right after this. 
Oh my goodness, what a story. If you thought this episode was rough, it gets worse. So just fair warning. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Whose Crime Is It Anyway? Part two is available now of Rock Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids. You can find us on Instagram at Whose Crime Podcast and on Twitter at Whose Crime Pod. And if you would like to support our show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Whose Crime Pod. Bye. Toodles.